Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Martial Arts MedCast. Uh, this is episode four, and today our guest is Dr. Allison Bernston. She is a doctor here in San Diego, and she works in trauma. And today we're going to speak on some specific topics, especially regarding the neck and injuries and martial arts and how that could be related to stroke and how we can prevent those things. So thank you, Allison, and welcome. Yeah, thanks. Happy to be here. We are going to get right into it. But first, I'd like to hear, Allison, what's your background here in medicine? Yep. So I went to medical school at the University of Colorado, and then I did a, a, a six-year residency in general surgery at UC Davis, and then a fellowship in trauma and surgical critical care at the University of California, San Diego. And I've been in practice now for five and a half years. Um, and I function in trauma, taking care of patients that have traumatic injuries. I work in the ICU, taking care of, of patients with surgical ICU needs. I do emergency general surgery, and I'm also the associate program director of our residency program. Wow. That's a resume. That's for, for sure. You're the perfect one to ask. That's why you know I brought you on. And I, well, number one, you're super cool. I've always liked working with you. So it's, you know, we've, we've had um, our times in ICU, but also like very cool just talking to you about anything because you're one of the most down to earth physicians I've ever spoke with and you're, and you live in OB. So that's like, and I could, I can X that out if you don't want people to know <laughs> your location, but things I want to go into. So we're talking about injuries to the neck in martial arts and Number one, we choke people, we bend the neck in different ways, whether it's accidental or purposeful. Um, but people really, I, I think sometimes people don't know what's actually in the neck. You know, we just think, they just think, oh, we're just squeezing the neck. But it's like, there's a lot of things in there, right? Could you just briefly go over some of the anatomy and some of the structures in the neck? Yeah. Yeah. So your neck actually is one of the most densely packed areas of your body for really critically important structures. So if you think about it, everything that runs between the head and the rest of your body is in there. So you have all of your upper airway, so your whole trachea running down the middle of the front of your neck where you breathe, connecting your mouth down to your lungs. And then you have your whole digestive system, so your esophagus, when you eat food, runs right behind your trachea, kind of in the back part of the middle of your neck. And then all of the nerves, blood vessels, and spine that connects your brain down to the rest of your body. In terms of nerves, you obviously have the vertebrae going down the middle of the back. Your spinal cord that has all the nerves from your brain down to the whole rest of your body runs inside the vertebral canal. You have a lot of nerves in the front that, can, that control things like your voice, your ability to speak, your ability to swallow, your diaphragm. Most importantly, kind of for the things you want to talk about today are the blood vessels. So again, your heart being down in your chest, all the blood that goes to and from your brain goes through your neck to get there. So you have big carotid arteries, um, one on either side. You have the common carotid that then splits into the internal and external. And then back in, inside the bone in your spinal canal are the vertebral arteries that go up and supply blood to the back part of your brain, like your cerebellum that helps with balance and movement. So there's not much in your neck that is not really important. You know, there's obviously muscle in there that helps hold everything up, helps you turn your neck, and there's some fat and connective tissue, but really almost everything in your neck has a very important function. So you guys hear it, all of that stuff, and we're just beating it up all the time. So 
obviously we're going to still still train martial arts and continue to train train hard but there's some things to be mindful of certain injuries some are preventable i'll speak to that you know we have rear naked choke um, any of the lapel chokes and stuff i don't know how much that would cause damage or issue to issues with the vessels long term but the things we were talking about today are what neck neck extension which uh, anything that's extending your neck you know can cause damage to the vessels especially and one of those being neck cranks and everybody's familiar with neck cranks in the martial arts community some of the associations have made neck cranks illegal in competition but people still do it in the gyms and it's something that it's like why are why did they make it illegal you know i think some people ask that question like why is it illegal to turn the neck and extend it and you know nearly break somebody's neck and i think there's some good reasons for that i think it should be applied like in the schools and everything as well and while you're training for competition could you speak a little bit on you know what kind of what risks risks are you taking by let's say extending the neck you know doing these types of movements and especially cuz they're not always done slowly, you know, it's a very aggressive, you know, let's say it's a, a quick turn of the neck or something like that. So what are some of the injuries you can see? So it's hard to speak specifically to martial arts because we don't have a lot of data on, you know, how often are these done, how many neck cranks are done a year in the United States, and then how many of those patients have an injury. But we do know that there are case reports of patients having injury to the blood vessels in their neck from martial arts. And we can kind of compare it to other injury patterns that we see that have a similar mechanism. So that sudden ex neck extension or extension and twist we'll see in other injury patterns. Things like motorcycle accidents we'll often see as patients go flying off their motorcycle, land, hit their chin, hyperextend their neck, or people that say fall down the stairs and hit their chin on the stairs or fall and, and hit a piece of furniture. Those type of hyperextension and twist injuries we know can cause something that we call blunt cerebrovascular injury. So what that is, is just any blunt mechanism, so not penetrating, not a gunshot wound or a stab wound, but blunt mechanism that then injures one of these cerebrovascular blood vessels, so either the carotid artery or the vertebral arteries. And there's a whole list of criteria that we use of who needs to be screened for those injuries, but one of the criteria that we use is anybody who's had a hyperextension of their neck in that similar way. And when patients have a blunt cerebrovascular injury, there's a spectrum of how severe they are, but it basically comes down to that artery, the carotid artery or the vertebral artery is stretched. And when it's stretched, one of the layers within it tears. And it can be anything from just the intima, which is the inside lining tears, to the entire blood vessel tears, which is usually lethal. Most of the injuries are fairly mild, just the inner lining tears, but that leaves a little flap inside the blood vessel. And as you can imagine, if there's a lot of blood flow going back and forth and there's a flap, it either blocks part of the blood flow or more concerningly, it actually serves as and night is for your blood to clot on top of that flap to try and heal it. But if it clots off and blocks the entire artery, then you're not getting the blood flow to your brain through that artery anymore. And so it can actually cause a stroke. And that's the real reason that we look for these blunt cerebrovascular injuries and treat them. And we usually treat them by putting people on a blood thinner or an antiplatelet medication like aspirin, because if we don't catch it and don't treat it, there's a risk that those people have a stroke. So say you had your neck extended and let's just relate it to martial arts because it happens, you know, maybe I 
let's say I get thrown in judo or something and I land on the ground, but my neck goes up here. I'm sure that type of injury is possible. Are there certain signs and symptoms that I would see in myself that are like, okay, maybe I have some type of blunt cerebral vascular injury? That's the hard part is that there usually isn't much of a sign or a symptom until you have a stroke and then it's too late to do much about it. So we, we really don't want to get into that situation. And it's easier for us to screen when somebody say is, is in a major car accident and they come in anyways, then we know to look for the, the risky mechanisms and we can screen them. It's a lot harder if you're just thrown across the room. It's like, well, that happens all the time. When do you go in and get checked? Mm. So I would say if you have any associated neurologic symptoms, if you're having severe neck pain, if you're having numbness or tingling down your arms, you know, anything that indicates you might've injured the spinal column, I would definitely go get that checked out. And then at the same time, they could look for vascular injuries. Or if you do something that ends up with a big mark on your neck, because that's one of the other things that we use as screening criteria is patients that are in a car accident and have their seatbelt too high. You know, your seatbelt's supposed to be down on your shoulder. If it's up on your neck and leaves a big mark, that's a risk. We'll screen for that. Or people that are strangled or have an attempted hanging and leaves a mark on their neck, we know that's a risk, so we'll screen for it. So if it was some type of, of maneuver that was bad enough to either leave you with neurologic symptoms or some type of, of significant mark, I would probably get that checked out. But the problem is, if you have a vascular injury, it's otherwise asymptomatic until you have a stroke. Wow. It's interesting because you're talking about like attempted hanging and all these things, but that's what we're doing. Like we're practicing that pretty much, you know, and especially when it comes to our lapel chokes, they're really strong and lapel is, you know, as strong as a rope. It's, it, it doesn't move. It's very firm. And we're not only sometimes the neck is twisting along with it, but you're applying the choke right across the neck here. And sometimes you do have a mark, you know, maybe it's just a redness or a bruise, but we definitely don't get it checked out, you know? <laughs> We'd never think to. Yeah, and and it's hard, is it? You know, most people that have a mechanism like that aren't going to have an injury, but every now and then somebody might, and if they end up with a stroke, that can you know be a permanent, life-altering, life-changing, or or even lethal issue. So that that's the issue. Is like how, what is the percentage? We don't know. How often does this happen? We don't know. And it would be nice to have more data, but unless we were to screen everybody that has one of these chokes, we'll never know exactly what the incidence is. Would you say that by what we've talked about and your understanding of what a neck crank is or any kind of choke, like, would you say that could increase your risk or? Yeah, we don't know exactly how much, but it's definitely going to be higher than if you don't do it at all. Okay. Because, you know, like I said, those were ruled out in competition. Like you just can't do a neck crank. You'll get disqualified. You don't see it a lot. I mean, really it's, I mean, it's a, a dick move like a hundred percent like if you somebody neck cranks me like i want to fight them afterwards like that's kind of like i'm not gonna i i personally don't want that to happen and i i don't if i see it i would definitely say something especially if it's a younger you know somebody training that's a little younger and stuff you don't see it a lot in the upper belts but you just never uh you know you never know just speaking to prevention making neck cranks illegal staying with that Obviously, we're still going to choke people because that's, that's not going away in jiu-jitsu. Chokeless jiu-jitsu is not a thing. Um, but my other thoughts are stroke is possible. We're going to still choke each other. What are the signs and symptoms of stroke? I think that's important. If somebody is to have a stroke and it happens in the gym, I think that that's most of the reason I want to do this podcast today is because I think people should know the signs and symptoms of stroke, especially the instructors and people that are in the gym. You know, I'll, I'll usually try to touch on that when I do my CPR classes, 
could we go over just the you know be fast the stroke assessment yeah i think it's a good thing just for the public to know in general even aside from martial arts is we all have older relatives that are at higher risk for a stroke anybody just out in public you could find somebody who has a stroke I, I was standing in line at the airport in germany once and the guy behind me went down in the middle of the line with a stroke like mm -hmm. you never know when it's going to happen and if somebody has a stroke getting them to treatment in a timely fashion can be the difference between them recovering and not so it, it's a really important easy thing that everybody should know what's that time frame um, there are certain treatments that need to be given within three hours and not everybody's a candidate for those treatments it depends on what type of stroke that you have but if you have a stroke that's caused by a blood clot there are certain clot busting medications that are typically only given within the first three hours they're researching whether or not that can be extended to six but the approvals generally right now are the first three hours and beyond that it doesn't help you much and increases the risk definitely important to get into care as soon as possible but the symptoms that you were talking about, the acronym that we use is BFAST. And so that stands for balance, eyes, face, arms, speech, and then time, with time, of course, being get them into treatment as soon as possible. So balance is anybody who has a sudden problem with their balance is all of a sudden they're very dizzy, just out of nowhere, they're having trouble standing upright, they're falling over, they're walking like they're drunk when they're not. That can be a symptom of a stroke back in your cerebellum, which is the part of your body that controls your balance and your other functions. Eyes is you're looking for if somebody has a sudden loss of vision in one eye, or what they'll sometimes describe it as this very classic, like, like you're pulling down the window shade and their eye just goes dark and they just lose vision in that eye. Even if it comes back in a couple of minutes, that can be what we call a mini stroke or a TIA that can be a sign that you are at high risk of having a bigger stroke. So you should go get that checked out. F is for face. So any sudden asymmetry in somebody's face where one side of their face is drooping, where they can't move one side of their face is a major symptom of a stroke. The A is for arms. So again, you suddenly can't move your arm on one side or it feels numb. Um, and then S for speech. So sudden, somebody who all of a sudden can't speak at all, can't speak normally, they're mumbling, they're garbling their words, they're saying words that don't make any sense, or they seem like they're not understanding what you're saying all of a sudden is, is that speech isn't making sense to them. Any of those things, balance, eyes, face, arms, and speech are major symptoms of stroke and you need to get that person into care as, as quickly as possible. Thank you, that was awesome. <laughs> covered it all. I know we spoke about this before, um, but one thing everybody has a question about, it's kind of the culture in jujitsu that when somebody gets choked out in competition or at the gym, they flip them over and then they lift their legs really quick. And they're like, oh, you got to, <laughs> you got to lift the legs. It's going to, you know, that's going to help them out. It's going to fix them. If you can touch on that a little bit and just kind of maybe the, even the receptors in the neck, because I know that kind of plays a role in how are uh, in the vessels to how the blood returns back to the brain and the timing as well, like how long, usually if there's somebody gets choked out, like how long do they, what does it usually take for them to come to? That's a good question. I'm not sure as long about how long it usually takes them to come to. I would yeah. guess it's probably not very long, but you've probably seen it more than me. <laughs> yeah, usually, I mean, 10 seconds or something. Okay, I think. yeah. I would say it's probably not very long. Um, it, certainly if, it, if it's longer than usual, that would be, 
concerning and, and they you know might want to make sure that they wake up okay. In terms of the lifting the legs and increasing the blood return, I think that that comes from actually an old test that we use in the ICU back from before we had all the fancy monitors that we have now mm-hmm. is that we, we used to do, and I sometimes still do, a, a test called a straight leg raise where a patient's laying flat in bed and you lift their legs up and see if that improves their blood pressure. So if somebody has a low blood pressure, by lifting their legs up, you use gravity to help return blood back to the heart through the veins. And so if the reason somebody's blood pressure is low is that their blood volume is low, they've been bleeding or they're dehydrated, that increased blood return from their legs can bring their blood pressure up. And that's a sign if they respond that the reason their blood pressure is low is you know, is low blood volume or dehydration versus if it's a problem with their heart, like their heart's not beating very well, like they had a heart attack, then the increased blood volume won't affect their blood pressure very much. They already have plenty of blood volume. It's their heart that's not working. Okay. And so that's probably where that idea comes from. It, it probably honestly doesn't make too much difference after somebody has been choked. They already have a normal blood volume. So you know, getting it back to their heart a little bit faster to pump back out probably doesn't make much difference. It's not going to hurt. You know, it doesn't hurt to do it, but it probably doesn't make a huge difference in terms of how fast they wake up. <laughs> okay. I know one one thought I have, because sometimes, you know, after somebody's choked out, they kind of, uh, I mean, it almost looks like a seizure or something, or like, you know, they kind of like convulse for a moment. And my thoughts are, you know, if it really doesn't make a difference, like, could it be better maybe to kind of just clear the space and just let them wake up and then go up to them and say, Hey, are you okay? You know, just make sure maybe their airway is not occluded or something, that kind of thing. But yeah, I think that's reasonable too, is, is like you said, is, you know, making sure that their airway is not obstructed for some reason. Although in most people that are, that are healthy enough to be doing martial arts, it it wouldn't be, that's more in, in overweight people, but yeah, definitely just let them wake up and then check in, make sure they're doing okay. Make sure they're not having any, numbness tingling you know inability to move anything and 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 that there isn't some bigger problem going on but usually there won't be yeah they usually wake up and then there was one um video i saw it was a guy that got choked out and the the ref goes up to him actually i think he lifts his legs and the guy wakes up and just tackles the ref (laughs) like (laughs) thinks the fight's still going on oh that was crazy and then the ref just throws his hands up he's like what what are you doing (laughs) i believe that yeah is you you don't know what's going on you're just like somebody was attacking me here we go (laughs) yeah for sure it's uh it's kind of a scary thing like i've i've only done it one like i've been in that situation once where i had somebody in a choke and it was somebody that was really tough but like they just don't they were they never tap and that's another thing like tap you don't have to tap super early, but if it's in there, you know you can't get out of a choke. Some people think you're, oh, you're, you know, you're weak if you tap early, but it's like you lost. Just tap in real life. Fight for your life in a situation where you need to. But we're just practicing, and there's people that just won't tap. But this guy passed out, and I was like, I didn't know he passed out. He just was, you know, he was fighting, and then all of a sudden he just went limp, and I was like, huh. And I let go, and he started snoring, and I was like. scared me a little bit and that and you know I just try to be super mindful at least as the person applying the chokes are they still awake or you know are they tapping and then like sometimes it's probably a bad habit of mine but I won't I'll apply it and then I'll almost you know I may let up sometimes or something but for the most part 
it doesn't happen but it, with with people that you know are stubborn like you have to be aware of it i think it, i mean it's like everything else in life is our entire life is a risk benefit assessment right is you have to figure out what is an acceptable risk to you but but to figure that out you need to be informed it needs to be an informed decision so you need to know what risks you're taking and then you can decide if it's worth your pride to not tap out when you've lost but yeah there maybe there are some risks you don't need to take too yeah <laughs> I mean, if it's competition, maybe it's makes sense to me like that you would fight it even more so. But in class, just, you know, you can just tap and then move on and then maybe it happens again or, you know, then it's your turn to try to tap the other person or whatever. But I wanted to ask you, so you mentioned the esophagus being in the throat as well. Mm-hmm. What types, is, do you, are there any types of esophageal injuries you can get from just crushing, I guess, or something like from a choke? Mm-hmm. Fortunately, that would be exceedingly rare. So your esophagus is pretty well protected. It's actually probably one of the most central structures in your neck. It has your vertebral column right behind it, your trachea right in front of it, muscle and blood vessels on all, on the sides. And so a, a blunt injury to the esophagus is really, really, really rare, fortunately. Um, you know, we, we see those mostly in people with gunshot wounds or stab wounds. It's technically possible, but it would be super uncommon. Okay. I've definitely had chokes usually with the lapel because the lapel is just, it's really powerful. And I've had like times where my neck sore for like a week and I'm like, but it's like a deep soreness. I'm like, is my like esophagus bruised or something? Like, what is this? Yeah. You can't really bruise that without going through some other more important structure, fortunately, but, but there's plenty of just deep muscle in the neck too, that could be super sore if you're, you know, fighting against somebody and, you know, you think about all those motorcyclists that ride the big motorcycles and they have those huge necks because they're holding their head up against the wind all the time. Yeah. It's probably the same kind of thing. It's interesting what people don't know yet. We're just attacking each other and fighting, but (laughs) what's truly, you know, what are we truly doing? Something done even with the heel or, you know, we're doing like, there's different moves that where you attack the knee, but you're twisting the leg and what is this move what structures are you affecting? I'd like to do a breakdown of all that would be kind of fun because each move is tearing something specific. I'm sure there's more than one thing that it's tearing, but yeah, I mean, there's some, some leg stuff that's really scary. My biggest fear is my knees. Like the moment somebody grabs my feet and they're going for some type of uh, either foot lock or heel hook or something where you're twisting the knee, I just, I just tap right away. I'm, I'm immediate. I'm like, oh, I, I need to walk. You know, yeah. Knees are like the weirdest joints, like how they even are at all stable that we're able to walk on them is like a feat of engineering. It's, you know, it's just two bones on top of each other held together by a whole bunch of ligaments. Like it's a miracle they don't go out on us more often. (laughs) It's true, especially with the weight that we put on them. Yeah. Especially in middle America. (laughs) I'm from Indiana, so I can say that, I guess. (laughs) There's a reason a lot of people have knee replacements in their 60s. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. I, I'll probably get two, I'm thinking. I'll probably get two and a hip or something. Hopefully they're much more like, I mean, they're already really effective and not too major. Just gotta, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of times when you do it in life, right? Like, 
you don't want to wait too late or whatever. Yeah. And, and being able to do the physical therapy that goes with it because it, getting it done without doing the physical therapy is, is pointless. But mm-hmm. I know plenty of active people who, you know, had bad cartilage in their knees from years and years of, of ver- being very active and then had to have knee replacements and now they're back skiing and doing other things again, but it was because they were active before they did their physical therapy while they're active again, a bunch of my mom's friends, but, Mm. but people that have knee problems from more just being overweight and, and not good use. And then if they don't change that afterwards, it's not going to be as good of an outcome. Mm. So stay in shape. is the biggest thing forever. So we're going to close up. Um, I just want to thank you for coming on. Do you have anything else you'd like to get into the, into the universe to the listeners? Whenever the COVID vaccine comes out, get it. Okay. In the meantime, wear your mask. We are full. We don't have room for anybody else. We will still take care of you, but it might be in a non-traditional bed. Please help us out by helping yourself out. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, it's useful. I can't even, I can't even imagine if we're going to start putting people in the hallways or something. That's scary. Yeah, we've got the vacuum open. Well, thank you so much, Allison, Doc Alley. (laughs) Appreciate you. Thank you to the listeners, and we will see you next time.